Hi, I'm Sean L. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic, found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people with dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Mark Fiera has entertained audiences around the world with stories of growing up, getting married, and raising kids in the Bronx. Fiera has released a Showtime special, Tales of a New Yorican, opened on tours with singer Mark Anthony and comedian Gabriel Iglesias, and performed everywhere from cruise ships to the leathernecks of the U.S. Marine Corps. Fiera sat down with me to talk about his career, about the ups and downs of selling and reselling a network sitcom based on his own life, and about Laugh Mob's laugh tracks on True TV, where you can see his comedy stories brought to life. So let's get to it! Thank you so much for waiting. Uh, it's it's a it, you know everybody has a podcast now in 2018. They do, and they so do. I was just having that conversation with Gina Brion. I oh, said, yeah, Gina. I said, I said, Gina, you and I should do a podcast. Mm-hmm. We were just on a, a cruise, mm-hmm. uh, working working a cruise ship together, and uh, we 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 made each other laugh so much. And from two Hello, very Gina. yeah two very different sides you know her woman perspective is so funny and then my stupidity <laughs> adds to that there, there's, there's no takeaway it's just adding to that and uh and we just really had a good time i said gina gina we, we never neither one of the neither one of us has ever had a podcast so i said maybe we should do something together because yeah. i like the rhythm you know she's so direct um, I've learned so much through my travels that I'm like, this might be something we should talk about. So we're going to revisit that. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Funny mm. that you said that. You know, I'm just like, all right, <laughs> we should explore. Yeah. <laughs> explore well, the space. <laughs> but isn't that, isn't that um, par for the course for you is to come to things late? I mean, you didn't, you didn't yeah. start doing comedy until you already had a, a career and a family. and Yep. Yep, started really Why late. Why did you start at like seven? Like I just had a, a guy in from Lebanon. He started. He was thinking about stand-up comedy when he was four. <laughs> what, what, why are you? What, what took you so long? Um, real life, real yeah. life. Yeah, absolutely. I had an I had an opportunity to, opportunity to do stand-up at the Apollo when I was nineteen years old. Um, some guy saw me. I was teaching an aerobics class. This is a true story. I worked for Bally's, what was okay. called Jack LaLanne's yeah, back yeah. then. Uh, in what the year is this? This is probably oof, 90, 90 or something, 90, okay. 91 around there. Have you watched the movie Perfect? No. <laughs> no. John, where John Travolta plays a Rolling Stone reporter investigating the aerobics craze, <laughs> and Jamie Lee Curtis is an aerobics instructor. It's a it's from 1980. Right, it's a crazy movie. Yeah, yeah. I gotta check that out. I I may have passed by it on cable, obviously, but right. I don't think I've ever sat down and watched it. Uh, so I wasn't I wasn't an aer- I was not an aerobics instructor. Okay. What I did was I filled in mm-hmm. when the aerobic aerobic instructor was not either there or this was when the sub this is when the step class was the big craze mm-hmm. when step class was like 
you know, I mean, it was in every gym. It was like ridiculous, you know? So I had to learn how to do the step class, how to give a class for about 45 minutes okay. in case the the person who was scheduled to do the class so that we were, weren't uh, canceling classes. So I was stepping in for one of the guys. <laughs> stepping that, in on step yeah, class. on step class. <laughs> uh, I was coming in to do the step class for this guy. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, like everyone was setting up their, their, their little steps mm-hmm. and putting their water bottles and what have you. And uh, my girlfriend ha- happened to work at the gym as well. And so she was an aerobics instructor, but she was teaching a class later on. And I was messing with her and all the women like in that front row that were getting ready. Right. And uh, had this guy that was just a passerby, hysterical laughing. And he comes to me and says, you're a comedian. And I said, no, I'm not. I'm actually the aerobic (laughs) instructor of this class. And he goes, no, you didn't see what I saw. Mm -hmm. You had all those women laughing. Which are very difficult. It's a very difficult thing to do, and it was very natural. You're a natural. You're a comedian, and I said, "No, I don't think so." I, I you know, this is what I do. And he said, "I'm going to sign you up for this thing. It's called uh, Amateur Night at the Apollo. Would you like to do it?" And I said, "I mean, if you say I can do it, I guess I can." I went out for the first time. They have like a prelim. Mm-hmm. I did really well. Really funny. I did this whole aerobics class thing that I did, you mm-hmm. know, really acting gay and and throwing myself around. Mm-hmm. I mean, everyone on it was like, oh, my God, this kid is really funny. I come back the second time. And the second time around, everyone was on their A game. And <laughs> I looked like nothing. Oh, no. Like I was so scared that probably three people before I said, hi, um, is there a bathroom? <laughs> <laughs> I went to the bathroom. I said, this is so not for you. And I went out the back door. Um, oh, so you didn't go on I didn't stage. Even, I didn't even do the... You were because intimidated. That, that, yeah, the first time, there was no audience. It was just like the people from the Apollo. Right. They just wanted to see if you can. they can push you through to the next round. The next round, people were in the audience booing people right. like crazy. I'm talking the, about... You get the, the hook you, and the... Yeah, you get, you get the whole thing. But you don't get the Sandman. That's for the taping of the show, okay. which is the next round. You know, So oh, they kind okay. of wh- whittle, whittle it down. Yeah, 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 that was the middle round. Okay. But it was nerve-wracking. Like it was, I was 19. I didn't know any better. I didn't write anything. I just, I just thought I can get laughs doing that same character right. that everybody... Which, believe it or not, it's... Now, now, pretty much every woman character in my act is that same aerobics chick. So, um, you just, I, you maybe know. you just have to grow into it. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, later on, you know, every every job I've ever had, everything I've ever done, people are like, "Oh my god, you're so funny! Oh my god, you're so funny! You should be a comedian." And then, you know, one day I, w- I just woke up and was like, "I'm going to do this," and did it. I've never looked back. It's <laughs> but how many years were there in between that? Um, that was 19 to 27. So, you know, seven, eight years before I picked it up again. Isn't that crazy? And what were you thinking between 19 and 27? I'm just going to be a a guy. I'm just going to be a a guy with a job. I, you know, I did, I did pretty well. I wasn't, you know, I just be a regular person. I, uh, you know what? It you know was those always civilians that we talk about. The civilians, yeah, it was, was going to be one of them. Look, I did it. I didn't say I liked it, you know, <laughs> which is the reason why one day I was like, I have to get on stage. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I had to. I had, you know, I had my son when I was very young, probably okay. like twenty three, and so I had to work, man. I had to, you know, I had to buckle down and make some money and feed a family and have health benefits and. 
I did it, man. I did all of that. You okay. Know? The, the story for a lot of us is kind of the same. We're all, we all did stuff and then realized, I hate doing this stuff. I want to do something I really love. What, hap- what was the moment at 27 that, that made you stop and, and rethink everything? Um, I, was, I was driving home from work. It was about 7 p.m. I had left the gym with my, my second son, who had been about a year and a half. And fell asleep at the wheel because I had a show, you know, like I was barking outside of the Boston Comedy Club. Okay. And uh, didn't leave the Boston until about 1030 and then had to drive home uh, with my son. And I was exhausted. You know, the next day mm-hmm. I, I'd woken up, gotten gone to work at 7 a.m. And I just was falling asleep at the wheel. I almost crashed. I actually the guardrail saved me and my son's life. And I got home and I, I told my wife, I, I can't do this anymore. I can't. I got to pick one or the other. You know, I just can't. It's, it's too much. I, I'm not sleeping. I, you know, I'm not happy when I go to my daytime job. And comedy doesn't pay enough to, to do it. So I got to make a commitment. You what know? did your wife say? Um, she said, I don't. I, she, she said to me, well, how are you going to make money? You know, and I said, well, right now I'm producing a show. Maybe I'll just produce more shows. Okay. And that was kind of the plan. The plan wasn't to become a star or to become, you know, the the greatest comedian. It was just I'm doing pretty good producing a show in the Bronx. Maybe if I produced a show in Brooklyn, which I then did, uh, I produced a show in Yonkers. That went really well. So it, it kind of worked mm-hmm. and then it didn't. You know, like, you know, hey, we're going to close down the bar for renovations for a year, you know, and then you're like, what? <laughs> now what do I do? That Man, was a, that, that was a third of my income. This is everything, you know? Um, and believe it or not, it happened in two different, in three different clubs that I was running. One club shut down, had a fire and shut down and had to rebuild. The other one went out of business because I didn't know the guy was involved in drug dealers. And was getting into main, you know, kind of right. core of his money to pay for the bills at the bar, buying liquor and stuff was from a drug dealer, his investor. I didn't know that. So he, he literally, the feds came in and closed the place down. Um, and then another place in Yonkers, they just closed down because they, were, they weren't doing good business outside of comedy night. You know, like, so their Monday through Thursday was horrific. I was doing comedy on a Friday night. Uh, was doing really well and then their saturday and sunday kept getting shut down because of the music ordinance in noise, Yonkers. Complaints. noise complaints and so you know it just weighed too much and next thing you know they were like hey we're gonna close down and i was like man this sucks man you guys don't understand i'm making money like <laughs> you know i'm charging at the door i get 100 people at 10 15 bucks you know, at the end of the night, it winds up being real money i mean you know i pay the comics 100 bucks or something which for a comic on a you know, to come in and have a, a spot at 8.30 and gone at 8.45, 8.50, they can then go to into the city and, and make more money. You right. know, I wasn't holding anyone up. I knew the schedule and none of the clubs were paying 100 bucks a spot, you know, to, to, very rare. And so I was getting the, the, the A-listers, you know, from DC Benny to Greer Barnes. All those guys were, you know, crossing the, you know, because they, they didn't mind doing it for the money. They right. were like, hell yeah, I'll drive in and, and, and pick up that cash. So... It wound up just when that happened. That's when I realized I needed an act, and I needed to go out there and and uh, really work hard. Now, if those clubs hadn't have closed, would you have been content to just be a producer? Um, well, I was the producer and the host. 
But would you so, have, would you have been content? With I would that? have stayed. I would have stayed if um, those clubs had stayed open and it expanded to like three or four more clubs. Would um, you have been content as a show producer and host? I don't think so because at some point when I started to develop this act that I have, mm-hmm. I started to get work out of town. Fridays became. Uh, very difficult to keep on the calendar and I was like oh man I gotta change the day to like an off day because right. Friday is just not working anymore because I'm not as available right. so if you start it, booking gigs you yeah you start booking gigs kids. on weekends yeah. and they're they're and you're making pretty decent money for a weekend um, yeah it started to to become a hindrance and so I had to figure that out you know uh, many many of the comics that are on the road do have Monday Tuesday or Wednesday night rooms um, they produce uh, a really good friend of mine, Rich Ramirez, used to do that all over. I mean, from Brooklyn, Queens. I mean, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, he had his own show. He would book them, he'd host them, uh, and so I, you know, I, I wouldn't have minded that because because in in a pretty nice sized spot, you could make decent money. And one of the spots I had, I was doing such good numbers, I was getting a piece of the bar. I was getting fifteen percent of the bar. So when you're able to negotiate that because that's their that's the bar's best night, mm-hmm. it winds up like I said, it winds up being a couple grand, which is real money in, in real time for one night, you know. And you stay in town, you know. And you to, stay in town. You don't have to travel anywhere. You don't have to yeah. do anything. You know, when your you promotional skills, life, right? You stay at home. Exactly. So it worked. You know, it worked. So when did? But then the clubs closed, so you had to develop an act. And... Well, I had to I had to put it together. You mm-hmm. know, I had I had good stories, good jokes, but I needed to figure out how to make this thing kind of blossom into a real <laughs> act, a coherent act. You know, I, well, I, really, at some point, I was just doing stuff that was funny. I knew it was funny, but I didn't know how to do comedy with that, and so I was I was like kind of lost in space and. When I, when I was doing 20 minutes, I was doing really, really good. I was doing really good in 20 minutes. Anything more than that, I was like, now what? I have this other joke, but it doesn't go with anything else. And I have, so I had to like rewrite. I had to figure that all out. It took about a year or more to kind of, you know, stitch it together and make a quilt. Was there, you know? was there anybody or anything that helped kind of serve as like inspiration or guiding force or mentor or um, anything like that? Um, there a, a guy that's out there now, Angelo Lozada. I don't know if you yeah, know yeah. Angelo, but Angelo <clears throat> came to me, and and I believe it or not, a guy named Brooklyn Mike. I don't know if you've ever met Brooklyn Mike, but Brooklyn Mike came to me and said, "Man, my my Caribbean, you know, fan base, they freaking love you, man. They want more of you. So let's do this." And he made this deal with me. That we're gonna do all of Brooklyn in about mm-hmm. in, in like seven days. We're gonna do like two shows a night in all these different little bars. You know, this this little kind of kind of circuit, if you will. Mm-hmm. And you know, he he saw me one night and he said, "We're gonna do this, but I want you to try to make your act one big piece because it's scatterbug. It's all over the place. It makes no sense, Mark." No one had ever said that to me before. So I go to Angelo Lozada and I'm like, man, Brooklyn Mike said that my act sucks and he don't like it and I got to do this. And Angelo said, no, he's right. You're, you're, you have a, a really refined gift without refining it. So you need to pay attention to what's called segues. And, 
and the storyline, because that's really what's going to make your act really come alive. You have to work at that. You can't just work on funny. And I said, there's more? You know? There's more to this shit? Come on, man. <laughs> and I and and I Well if you want people to pay attention for more than twenty minutes. <laughs> more than twenty minutes, yeah. exactly. And so that was the beginning of this, you know, of this act that I have been selling and doing on television now for probably seven, eight years, you know, is it's now it now has a rhyme or reason, and some people may go, "Oh, that's the guy that talks about being married. That's the guy that talks about his kids, or that." And I don't care about that. Mm-hmm. That's that's my storyline, you know. And I just change the stories, but the but the you know the actors, the the characters, they stay the same. You know, my grandmother, my grandfather, my wife, my kids, they stay the same. And so I enjoy writing from that perspective, from my point of view, looking at them. Mm-hmm. Looking at how I'm raising my kids to the way I was raised and, you know, what we call the pussification of of today's kids. You know, Mm -hmm. I get to look at that and make jokes about it, you know, and say, man, we didn't have hand sanitizer. We had dirty hands, you know, and we loved it. And I, you know, and and people my age, they go, I know, you know, we never washed our hands. Who's who's cleaning these kids so much? And so I love that whole I love doing that on stage. I love presenting my case, you know, making a point and then presenting my case like we we did it this way. We we and we're good for it. Our kids don't have that and look at them now, these almond milk drinkers. And it's, you know, and I go on and, and break it down to say, you know, this is what it was and this is what it is. And I have a, I have a great time doing that. A lot of people kind of, I, I, maybe it's a stalemate. I don't think so, you know, cause I love performing it that way. But again, it took me a long time to get to that storyline. Right. You know, it, it really did. So how, when you were, when you were doing that, that initial Brooklyn circuit, how many, how many people would, would they draw in the in those bars? The, the capacity at at the high end was like ninety people. Okay, so not. And they had about one hundred and fifteen people in there. So you're talking about standing room only. Mm-hmm. Um, Caribbean people are very festive. When I say Caribbean, it's like Trinidad, it's Jamaica, it's Puerto Rico, it's Dominican. I mean, everybody that was in Brooklyn that you know had their own specific flag <laughs> brought that flag and brought that culture. To these bars and and it's I lived um, in Sunset Park for a year. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, yeah. So we uh, <laughs> and and you know and uh, and through those through those shows, I started to realize that I, I started to write. It, it, you know, I started to break down those stories and say, well, why doesn't? How can I make that mm-hmm. and this? Makes sense. How can I? And I started to almost like like little cue cards, you know, and say, oh, wow, you know, if I put that there or that joke is actually a part of that joke. And I started splicing them and adding them. And believe it or not, my bits that were four minutes were now seven minutes, but they were really funny and they had a beginning, a middle and an ending like a good story should. It just didn't end by going, yeah, and yeah, that was, so that's what happened. You know, that's not, that, that's good in your living room, but that's not good right. at a comedy club, you know. It, it, well, how, how did those stories play when you went from the Caribbean bars in Brooklyn to the clubs and then the cruise ships? Um, they and then the TV spots. They were they, were they played. Transition? Yeah, they were they were easy to transition because the exercise was to write. Mm-hmm. The exercise was 
to trim, to edit. And so now when when Comedy Central came to me and they said, oh, Russell Simmons was doing a comedy, a Comedy Central special mm. uh, live at the El Rey. And he said, oh, yeah, yeah. I want to I want to do that. I want Mark to be a part of that. But he's going to get eight minutes. And I said, one joke is eight minutes. Like the one joke is eight minutes. And then I said to myself, man, I better trim the fat. I got to take out the and thens and the and, you know, this also happened. I got to take that out. I got to get to the funny and move on. And I was able to do three jokes in eight minutes with those characters. I, I did some grandma, you know, uh, 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 hanging out the window in the Bronx, yelling at people walking by. I was able to do a joke about, you know, my wife checking my cell phone bill. And when I get home, she's like, who the hell is this? You know, whatever. And all those, I was able to become the characters and there are memes on the internet right now getting 30, 40 million hits because it's like Latin women right. do this when you come home. And, and you can now translate in, that into this new Laugh Tracks. <laughs> yes, exactly. Serious. Laugh Mob exact, Laugh Tracks. Laugh Mob Laugh Tracks is the, ex, you know, they go, we want more stories. Mm -hmm. And I go, oh, you want the long version? They're like, yeah, give us the long version and we'll edit out what we need to to make it fit in four minutes. But we want six minutes. And so I'm like, oh, man, no one has asked me that in a long time. Everybody's like, can you cut that down or can you do this? And so it played right into the true storyteller that I am. So it worked. Were your grandparents able to, able to see much of that? Yes. I got to take them to shows um when i was producing my own shows i got to bring my grandmother to a lot and she loved going to the shows because she was such a big part of the you know of my set and so especially when she was in the audience i would talk about you know her little nuances mm -hmm. and she uh, didn't care if they were good or bad just no because i didn't i didn't do her. any bad i okay. didn't do any i never <laughs> did anything bad there's this joke i do about my grandmother wearing a house dress mm -hmm. And uh, I'm like, she's an old school grandma. She she wore a house dress with slippers in the apartment. And the house dress had snaps in the front. And uh, she never snapped it right. It was always cocked, you know, a little, a little bit like right. she missed one snap. And then she had to hold it just in case one of her old titties pop out, you know. And, and those are the jokes that she slapped me in the face about when the show was done. But mm -hmm. then she would laugh. She would say, don't talk about me like that. And you would tell, tell my my, my titties coming out. I'm like, my, it's just a funny thing, you know? And then mm -hmm. she would just, she would laugh about it. But all the stories were true. When I told, I, I, I say when we went, when we used to go shopping with my grandmother in the Bronx, she would, um, she would tell us, don't ask for anything. You're not going to get anything, so don't ask. And then she put her fist right in my face and said, do you hear me? You don't, you don't want anything. And I wanted everything, but I would look at her fist and be like, I don't want anything. I swear, I don't want anything. Those moments... She she would look at me and go, I never did that to you. And I'm like, Ma, yes, you did. Liar. You're trying to get away with shit now. Get out of here. So she would laugh about it, you know. So, yeah, she would defend, try to defend herself. But um, those little those little grandma nuances I would try to bring, you know, bring to life. But she loved being the, the star of the show and everyone wanting pictures and stuff with her oh, nice. was really cute. You know, she loved that. Nice. Yeah. What What has been the biggest gig you've? You've gotten to have so far? Um, probably the biggest was opening, hosting for Gabriel Iglesias, for Fluffy. Um, in Hawaii, we did an outside comedy concert um, 
where the Japanese attacked us in Pearl Harbor, like that that uh, that air base, mm-hmm. fifteen thousand plus in an outside arena, screens everywhere. Um, that's that's the biggest event I've ever done, and it was fantastic. Kids, nice. you know, you had to be clean, mm-hmm. but kids, you know, from one. Parents, grandparents, everybody just sitting out there in their in their kind of lawn chairs and stuff, having a great time. Biggest show. No, you you don't have to be clean at Carnegie Hall. I don't have to be clean at Carnegie Hall. They get the full <laughs> the full thing, and that's probably the second largest. It hasn't happened yet. Right, that's coming all up things June first that happens, but that's a big deal. You know that you know you, I did Madison Square Garden also. With Fluffy. And so, you know, those are the biggest shows I've ever done as far as just stand up. You know, no one was expecting any more. Um, you know, no juggling or anything. I just right. went out, hosted, did about 12, 15 minutes of stand up and brought up all the other acts and stuff. So that was great. Does man. it mean something more being like a kid from the Bronx to to do these shows? Absolutely. At Madison man. Square, Carnegie Hall? Yeah. It's a, it's, those are, you know, I would, you, you never you I could have never coming from the basements in these bars and lounges that I was producing mm-hmm. to Carnegie Hall, uh, Madison Square Garden or flying the way I've done with the United States military. Oh, the Leathernecks. Yeah, the Leatherneck it? tour did that for five years and performed all over, I'm t- you know, all over <laughs> Asia and all over the U.S. and all these different Marine Corps bases and stuff. I mean, man, it. You know, who knew, man? Who knew? I just got off a cruise ship in Spain, you know, cruised for 15 days uh, at sea and all over Europe. I mean, I, I could have never, never have thought this far, never have imagined that this is where comedy would take me. But the truth is that I've given comedy absolutely everything. I, there's nothing that I haven't given it. So when well, I well, you haven't done Amateur Night at the Apollo. I haven't done that. <laughs> do I have to go back though and conquer that? I, I did do a show at the Apollo last year. Okay, we sold it out twice in one night, which is was rare. Was it just you or was it? It was me and the New York Kings. Okay. So it was a bunch of guys, you know, some New York guys, mm-hmm. and uh, and so I did get to go back to the Apollo and kind of redeem myself. But you know, Steve, they got Steve Harvey hosting again. Yeah, yeah, at Fox. So, yeah, so should I call him? I I think I think <laughs> I you know I I actually think they would love the story. Yeah, absolutely. Of a nineteen year old kid yeah, who was who scared who's out of it, like the scarecrow. And My legs were trembling, you know. <laughs> but only if you do the routine. <laughs> you do the, go back with the, that with, yeah, with, with the aerobic routine. Yeah. <laughs> man, you are setting me up for failure <laughs> so big, man. Like, but I think people would laugh at the failure. They'd be like, "Hey, he came back with it, man." You know. I, th- yeah. I think it looks much better at 39 than it does at 19. <laughs> True story. True yeah. story. Yeah. Well, what do you, what do you, what do you have yet to achieve then? If if not that, um, you know, I have a, I have a want. You know, my want is to get out of comedy something that I don't think a lot of guys kind of want. Like I, I've written and I've had a a sitcom, um. Bought many times the same show. The you develop- know, different. You've been the I've, I've been through the development process over the last six years mm-hmm. quite a bit. I know it like the back of my hand. How many different networks? Uh, one, two. <laughs> it it was it was Fox production, Fox the network, mm-hmm. 
Um, it was Fox production again. Um, that was three. It was uh, CBS one year. Uh, so those four times I actually made money from my show. Okay. The last time was with George Lopez as an executive producer. We made it to TV Guide. We we were you know we were purchased. We were ready to go into production. Um, but then Mindy Colling came in and she dis- she disrupted that entire process. She came in with her show. Oh. Uh, you know, Lock, Stock, and Barrel. I mean, mm-hmm. she was like, "I'm ready to tape," and they bumped me out. And they produced uh, the Mindy Project, oh. and I didn't. You know, they had an Indian woman, mm-hmm. and you know, everybody's like, "Well, you know, we get, we got the Indian chick from the off from the office. She's mm-hmm. gonna sell better than this Latin kid from the Bronx, who's kind of a nobody. So let's go with that." And you know, it's a, it's risk versus reward when it comes to that point right. of selling a show. You gotta you gotta again. You have to know that language. You gotta go. Who knows me? How am I going to sell? You know, and and what sponsors are going to want to be attached to this show? And I could see where the second they called me in and they were like, "Hi, this is Mindy," and they, you know, and then they were like, "You guys should talk because her show is, you know, is this and that." And then that, that probably a week later they were like, "Yeah, we're going to go with Mindy." So, and it's funny, you know, once you sell a show, it's their show for three years. Oh, okay. It is their show for three. You can't shop that show in any way, shape, or form for three years. You would have to redevelop. You have to change your character. Like, And I, I there was just no way. Mm-hmm. So I had to literally wait for Warner Brothers, you know, their kind of expiration date for the ownership of a show. One day, once they paid for it, and they paid. You know, that's the thing. They so paid what's me. the expiration date? It's three years. It's three years from the time that it sells, you know, right. the, the time so that they buy yet? it So are we you. there yet or no? Oh yeah, a long time. Oh, yeah, yeah, so yeah. Can, yeah, can, yeah. I'm redeveloping. So we can go I'm back re- out there. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm working with um, uh, Josh, Josh Goldstein right now. He's mm-hmm. a big writer out in uh, in LA, um, and we're you know we're redevising, reworking. Uh, we have some interest with uh, with some really great great folks, and um, you know, I want to do that. I want to I want to start a little production company, and I want to I want the Latin community to feel very comfortable to bring their stories to me. And uh, similar to what uh, Adam Sandler has done, which is take these phenomenal, even if they're outlandish stories, but give them a place to come and and be sorted out and make some of them. Tyler Perry does the same thing with the black community. It's like, you know, bring me your stories and we'll see if we can make it. And he pays people in his community and he makes a lot of movies that way. You know, he tells their story. And so I, I would love to do that. Well, Mark, I would love to see your story. So oh. <laughs> I, I cannot, I, I cannot buy your your, <laughs> your pitch. Yeah, but uh, I'll put a good word in for you. Yeah, please do. I need that. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Mark. Thank you, guys. Are you kidding? Thank you. Awesome. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Things first.